Knowing Jesus is the central issue in life. Not merely knowing about him, not simply studying about him, not just analyzing, critiquing, or debating about him, but knowing him. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Knowing Christ personally as he is revealed in scriptures transforms our lives. Join us in our Jesus Up Close series as we learn from men and women who had face-to-face encounters with Jesus. We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, church. Good to see you all. It's quite some music we got there in that intro. I don't know if we're at church or we're in a club or something like that. But anyway, hey, so Pastor Rob and I were talking recently that, you know, both of us need to do a better job of this, of introducing ourselves, because there's new people that are coming all the time. And so let me just let you know, my name is John Stahlberger. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. Uh, It's a privilege of mine to get to preach for you all today. Uh, You can keep Pastor Rob in your prayers. He is in Samoa. We know he made it there. And uh, they are 21 hours ahead of us. And so right now, he should be getting ready to, uh, to be part of the pastor's conference that he's in Samoa to, to help lead. So he's helping to lead a pastor's conference, and he's also, um, they're going to a couple of villages to see if they're good places for us to take missions teams in the future. So anyway, you can just keep praying for him. Uh, again, he, he got there safely, so just keep praying for his health, and that it would just be a safe trip and a good trip. Um, Anyway, really excited to get to speak with you guys today. So we started our our series, Jesus Up Close. Pastor Rob started by sharing uh, last week for this series. And and so I just want to start off by telling you this. So the first house that I remember living in, and my mom was so gracious, she told me the address this morning. I knew the street, it was Van Owen, but it was 18139 Van Owen Street in Reseda, California. And that isn't the first house I lived in, but it's the first house that I remember. Okay, it's the first house that I remember. And I I have a lot of good memories from that house, even though we moved away from there when I was still very, very young. Uh, We lived next door to the Green family, okay? Not Pastor Greg Green's family, okay? A different Green family. We lived next to the Green family. I I don't remember the parents' names, uh, but they had two children. They had a son named Howard, and they had a son named Lauren, And Howard was my age. And so Howard and I would hang out. We were friends as we were growing up. We would play together. We did all kinds of stupid things together. We often fought together. One of my lasting memories of Howard and I is one time we were probably like five years old. We got in a fight. And um, it wasn't wasn't much of a fight, but we got into an argument. And we decided that, uh, you know, you couldn't go on the other person's property. Okay? And so like that property line was the line you couldn't cross. Both of us had picked up rocks. Okay, and we were prepared to throw rocks at each other if we ventured onto the other side. You know, it was kind of one of those things like you'd walk up to the line and is he looking like acting like you're going to go over. But if I remember correctly, no rocks were actually thrown. And I don't think I think that might be the only time him and I ever had a fight like that. Okay, Um, but Howard and I did all kinds of things together. Matter of fact, um, this is more about the Green family, but the very first baseball cards that I owned came at the expense of Mr. Green, okay? Let me explain what this means. So I was walking, minding my own business, walking through the alley one afternoon, and I walked past the, the Green's trash cans. And right on the top of the trash in the Green's trash cans was a box of baseball cards, okay? And I thought, well, that's odd. And, uh, and so it was in the trash, so I thought it's fair game. And so I grabbed said box out of the trash can, and I took it home. And so still to this day in my baseball card collection, if I have any card that's before 1977, that belonged to Mr. Green. 
Okay? And I, still, I don't know what happened. I don't know if Mr. Green got mad at all of baseball, and so he decided to throw his cards away. Or more likely, Mrs. Green got mad at Mr. Green, and she threw away his cards. You know, whatever it was. Thank you, Mr. Green, for the cards. And so anyway, Howard and I were buddies. We did all kinds of things together. We would walk to school together. Like, I don't know how many of you have young children, but when I was in kindergarten, my parents let me and Howard walk to school together by ourselves. Like we walked like five or six blocks. I think that's normal for people my age, but no one would ever let their kids do that today, you know? And yet Howard and I, where there's no fear, we'd walk to school together. Um, and Howard and I, we had a lot of things in common, but we had some things that were very different uh, about each other. Howard's parents both happened to be deaf. And so neither one of his parents could hear, and yet Howard and Lauren were both able to hear. And so the, his parents were deaf. Both of my parents could hear, except for my father when he doesn't want to, okay? I don't know if any of you guys have dads like that, you know? All of a sudden, they can't hear when, you know, mom is telling them to do something or you're telling them something's going to cost money. So my dad is what I call mostly hearing, okay? Selectively not hearing. But anyway, Howard's parents were deaf. Um, Howard and his family were Jewish. And I didn't know what we were. I just knew that we weren't Jewish, all right? And so Howard and his family were Jewish. And I remember thinking Christmas was cool, but it sure seemed like Howard and his brother got presents for like two straight weeks, you know? And so during that time, I was kind of envious, you know, of like, what, what, what is Judaism all about? You know, maybe I want in, you know? And, and so I don't, remember, I don't remember how this conversation started, but one of my lasting memories of my childhood friendship with Howard is one day... Him and I were sitting on the swing set in his backyard, and we were just talking, okay, uh, talking about deep things like five-year-olds typically do, all right? <laughs> and so we were sitting on his swing, and again, his family was Jewish. I didn't know what we were, and so we were talking, and yet we had this conversation where we both knew that our thoughts were different, but we both knew that we believed in God, Okay? And so it was a very real moment in my life. I remember sitting on that swing and going, yeah, I don't know what it means, but I believe in God. And so still to this day, I will tell you this much, since I was that age, I've had lots of questions. I still have lots of questions. And someday when I, I'm in heaven, if those questions still matter to me, I will ask them. Okay? But I remember from that day on, I said, yep, I, I believe in God. And so that's one of my lasting memories of my friendship with Howard is us sitting there and talking about our common belief in God. So a few years after uh, that conversation with my friend Howard, I spent the summer with my Uncle Dean and my Aunt Pam. And so my Uncle Dean was in the Air Force, and so he was up in um, Atwater, California, I think is where he was at the time. And so I went and spent the summer up there. And uh, my, my aunt and my uncle were church-going people, and so they took me to church at, for probably one of the first times in my life. And I remember walking into church and just being so confused, okay? And, uh, and this is really important for some of us that have been around church for a long time to remember, if you can remember back to before you went to church. Because like we say things and we do things that make sense to us, but to someone who walks in the doors that has never been here before, they're like, what? Okay, what did he just say? But I remember as a kid walking into my uncle and my aunt's church and just being really confused. And I remember them sending me to a little kid's Sunday school class where everybody had a Bible, 
except for me. And they gave me one, you know. But when the teacher said, turn to whatever book they said, I had no idea where that was. Just not even a clue. And no one had told me about the table of contents yet, okay? Like if you're new to church and you're new to the Bible, the table of contents is your best friend, all right? Because when, when someone says, turn to wherever, that table of contents tells you where to go. Now, also, if you have the version on your, on your, on your uh, phone, version Bible app on your phone, that's another thing that is your best friend as well. But, but I remember being that little kid and sitting in church and just having no idea. And so during that summer, one of the things that we did is my uncle said, hey, we're going to the fair. And I'd never been to a fair before. I think Merced County Fair is probably what it was. And so I was like, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. I don't know what happens at fairs, but it should be a great time. I got there. What was happening is this church had a booth. And so they were, they were um, just they had this booth set up with tables and chairs, and they were inviting people to come in and to, to hear about the gospel. This was not exactly what an eight-year-old had in mind for going to the fair, by the way. And so I sat there for what felt like all day. It might have actually only been an hour or two. But you know how when you're young, you don't really know. And so I, I thought I was there for hours. But at some point, my uncle sat me down. And he basically was just like, John, I want to talk to you about something. And so my uncle and I went through this little pamphlet. that basically my uncle was trying to share the gospel message with me. And so I remember that. And I remember my uncle telling me about God's love for me. And I remember afterwards going, well, I, I don't know too much about too many things, but I want to be in heaven with the Lord. You know, and so as we think about our spiritual journeys, like for me, that's part of my spiritual journey. That conversation with Howard when I was like five years old is part of my journey. That conversation with my uncle at that fair is part of my journey. And, and that, that journey has continued with many other steps along the way. Just like for you, you have your own journey towards the Lord. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter 3 about a guy who, who had an encounter with Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. Uh, the Gospel of John, there's the start of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the last of the four Gospels. And so in John chapter 3, we're going to look at just verses 1 and 2 real quick. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know, that you, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so before we get any further in this chapter, there's some things I want us to notice just from those first two verses. The first thing we read is this guy, Nicodemus, it says that he is a Pharisee. And that tells us something really important about him because the Pharisees were experts in the law. Okay, And a Pharisee was someone, they were committed to being obedient to the law, like 100%. They were meticulous about their obedience to the law. Like if, if, the, if the law said don't do something, not only did they not do it, but there were several other steps that they would follow to make sure they never even got close to doing that thing. So they were meticulous about their obedience to the law. And they were also meticulous about trying to hold other people accountable to their obedience to the law. But not only was he a Pharisee, uh, and by the way, the Pharisees were the ones they would help lead the synagogue worship. They would instruct the people. They were, they were the spiritual guides for the Jewish people in the first century. And as you go through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus has many encounters with the Pharisees. This is the first one we read about in the Gospel of John. Quite often, Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees don't end well, or they don't go well. Like the Pharisees are always out to get them. 
they're always out to question him. They're always out to try to trick him. Like imagine trying to trick Jesus. I mean, they didn't know what they were doing then. But I think about it now and I think, oh, how stupid, you know, trying to trick Jesus. All right. And yet that's what, that's what we read throughout the Gospels. And yet he wasn't just a Pharisee. It says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And so inside the Jewish community, there were 70 men who, the best way I could explain it is they were like the Supreme Court for the Jewish community. And so this guy was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a man of importance. He was a man of prestige. He was a man of power. And that's why I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage about him. First, it says that he comes to Jesus at night. Okay, so sometimes we read through the Bible, we may, we, we may notice things and we may not notice things. On first glance, that might not be a point that you would notice as you're reading this section about Nicodemus. But it says that he comes to Jesus at night. And I don't want to read too much into this, but I think it's very possible Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because you know what? He didn't want to draw any attention to the fact that he was going and talking to Jesus. He was kind of trying to go talk to Jesus on the down low, okay? He didn't want everybody seeing it because you don't want some, if you're a Pharisee, if you're a member of the Sanhedrin, you don't want them seeing that you're going and you're speaking to that renegade rabbi Jesus, all right? And so he comes to Jesus at night because he's just trying to keep it kind of quiet. The second thing I want us to notice, I want you to notice the words that, that Nicodemus says to Jesus. Because in verse 2, it says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Like Nicodemus knew that Jesus didn't fit into his system of beliefs. Nicodemus knew that Jesus didn't fit into what he was all about. And yet he knew in, in encountering Jesus that there was something special about him. Like he couldn't help it. He couldn't help but notice that there was something special about Jesus. It wasn't convenient. It was actually inconvenient. But he realized, man, I got to go talk to this Jesus because there's something going on with this guy. All right. And so we're going to continue the story in John chapter three, starting in verse three. So Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so now we're going to read verses 16 and 17. I added verse 17 because, you know, John 3, 16, the most popular verse in the Bible. Okay, like maybe Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a close second, but John 3, 16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. I love verse 17. Like I love 16, but verse 17 is so powerful as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Two awesome, amazing passages. And so in that section there, there's three things that I want us to notice this morning. Number one, Jesus tells him, you must be born again. Okay? He says it a couple of times. He repeats himself. He must be born again. And Nicodemus seems confused by this. And I love if you read through that, and you're really paying attention as you're reading. Like this Nicodemus is somebody, and Jesus is talking to him like he isn't anybody. Okay? Like Jesus is talking to him, and he seems confused. You know, like he's confused. Like he doesn't even know what Jesus is talking about. And I kind of find that funny. I don't know why. I just do. Okay? Jesus is talking to him like he has no idea. And Nicodemus doesn't know what's going on. And yet Nicodemus should have and would have recognized some of Jesus' words. Uh, in, his, in a book that Pastor Rob and I are reading as we're going through this series, uh, a book called Jesus Up Close, the author Skip Heitzig writes this. So something Jesus said helped Nicodemus understand how this transformation was possible. He used, Nicodemus's, he used words Nicodemus would have recognized. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. As a teacher of the Old Testament, Nicodemus remembered the pledge God made to the prophet Ezekiel. And so in Ezekiel, it says this. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. So what does Jesus really trying to tell Nicodemus? What is, Nicodem what is he trying to tell Nicodemus, and what is he trying to tell us today? He's trying to tell him that he needs a new heart, okay? He's trying to tell us that we need a new heart. It's possible that Nicodemus had spent his whole life in this God business and still didn't know God at all, okay? Nicodemus had spent his whole life in the business of God and yet didn't know him, didn't have the relationship that God wants to have with him, didn't know him in a very real way. And we could spend a lot of time talking about just this point because as Christians, it's so easy for us to fall into that same trap. It's so easy for us to know the business of God and yet not know God. It's easy for us to show up to church and to go to Bible studies and give some money and to do all the right things and yet still be so far away from where God wants us to be. Like those things, most of those things are good that, that we do, but, but there's more to it. Like there's more to it. That doesn't, it, it could be meaningless for us. And so Nicodemus was in an interesting place. He could spend all his life being religious without really ever encountering God in a real way. And so there's a big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Okay, does that make sense? There's a big difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And there's nothing wrong with knowing about God, but we need to make sure that we actually know God. I, I hope that makes sense as I'm saying it to you guys because it's so important. Like I told you guys, when I first started going to church, I didn't know anything. I didn't know where anything was. I couldn't find anything in the Bible. Well, let me tell you, after eight years of going to private Christian schools, Bible class became a subject. Okay, it became a subject to me. I knew the Bible verses. I knew the stories. I mean, we talked about Jesus walking on water every single class. You know, I memorized all kinds of verses, and yet I still didn't know Jesus. 
And that's so easy to happen to people like me who go to a Christian school for so long. For our young people who grow up in the church, it's so easy to know all the stories and still not know Jesus. All right? What a dangerous place that is. I hope you realize how dangerous that is, especially for our young people who grow up in the church. If they grow up knowing all the stories but don't know Jesus, man, they're in trouble. And so it's our job as the church and our job as parents to come alongside them and help them to do more than just know about God, to know about Jesus, but to help them actually know God and know Jesus. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that Jesus says we must be born again? Why do we need to be born again? It's because of what we know the Bible says. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're all sinners. Listen, to those of you that walked in here today and you felt pretty good about yourself, let me let you know something. You're a lousy sinner. Okay? For those of you who walked through the door today feeling pretty bad about yourself, you already know you're a sinner. Okay, the reality is we're all in the same boat. For those of you that came in here feeling good about yourself, feeling like you're better than anybody else, you're not. We all have the same problem. Luckily, we all have the same Savior. Okay, because it isn't about our abilities and our performance. It's about Jesus. Okay, we're all sinners. We're all dead in our sins without Jesus. Paul says it like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like Paul ain't messing around, okay? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Paul's saying, hey, we were all like that at one point. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. What an awesome passage. We were all dead, but Christ has made us alive. God has made us alive, who's rich in his mercy. So we all need to be born again. We all are in that same situation where we need to be born again. Second thing I want you to notice in there is, you know what, Jesus, he was and he is no respecter of persons, all right? Nicodemus was a very important elite spiritual leader in the Jewish community, but that didn't stop Jesus from telling him exactly what he needed to hear, okay? Jesus didn't take it easy on him. He let him know what he really needed to hear. And the important part there is, you know, God doesn't show favoritism or partiality, in the eyes of the world, Nicodemus was somebody really important. And I don't want to say that in the eyes of Jesus, Nicodemus wasn't important. That's not what I'm trying to say. But in the eyes of Jesus, Nicodemus wasn't above anybody else. Like they were all in the same category. We're all in need of being born again. We're all in need of being born of the water and the spirit. We all need a new heart put inside of us. And so it doesn't matter if you came here today with a full bank account or you came here today with an empty bank account. We all need to be born again. It doesn't matter if you came here a respected member of your neighborhood or your community, or if you came in here someone that nobody even knows who you are. We all are in need of being born again. Sometimes we have a habit of getting a little full of ourselves. 
And sometimes maybe we start to think that we're better. We compare ourselves to certain people and we feel better about ourselves. But compared to the goodness of God, when we compare ourselves not to others, but we compare ourselves to Jesus, we're reminded of our need to be born again. And we're reminded that God has got us all. He loves us all, and we're all in the same category. Last thing I want you to notice, and this is really the key for verses 16 and 17, is, man, God loved Nicodemus, and he loves us. Like what Jesus wanted more than anything else is for Nicodemus to follow him and to truly understand God's love for him. And what he wants more than anything else for you and I is for us to know and understand his love for us. Um, in his commentary on this, on this uh, chapter, William Barclay says this about John 3.16. And it's a beautiful paragraph. Please listen closely to his words. It says, it tells us the width of the love of God. It was the world that God so loved. It was not a nation. It was not the good people. It was not only the people who loved him. It was the world. The unlovable and the unlovely. The lonely who have no one else to love them. The person who loves God and the person who never thinks of God. The person who rests in the love of God and the person who spurns the love of God. All are included in this vast inclusive love, the love of God. As Augustine had it, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. I love that paragraph. Because the reality is God does love everyone. And it's so easy sometimes to look around and to see people that are lovable and go, yeah, of course God loves them. But even the people that we think are unlovable, okay, God loves them. Even in those moments where we are unlovable, it doesn't change God's love for us. And so whenever I read John 3.16, you know, there's some other passages in Scripture that I immediately think of because they're great passages that reinforce this idea of God's love for each one of us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8, Paul says this. He said, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't say he died for the good people. He doesn't say he died for the godly. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. Peter says it this way. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. What a beautiful little three words there. God's special possession. Do you feel like God's special possession? Okay, you may not feel like that. I often don't feel like that. That is the way God looks at us. Like we are God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in, the, in Second Peter, Peter writes this in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone 
to come to repentance. You know, so it goes perfectly with our sermon today, but, but two weeks ago, um, Pastor Rob shared with us his three goals for us this year. I'm not going to ask you to yell them out loud. I hope you remember them. I'm going to give you about two seconds to think of them. All right, hopefully you've thought of them, okay? If you don't remember them, I'm going to share them with you. For this year, 2024, Pastor Rob wants us to know Jesus more. He wants us to trust Jesus more, and he wants us to share Jesus more, okay? He wants us to know Jesus more. He wants us to trust Jesus more. He wants us to share Jesus more. And as I was thinking about today's message, and I was thinking about Nicodemus, and I was thinking about us, and this idea of being born again, and it isn't good enough just to know about God, but he wants us to really know God. I was like, what does it take? What does it take to really know God? And I was like, it's the goals that Pastor Rob talked about. Because how do you get to know Jesus more? Now, there's some of it is, you know, like spending time in your Bible and doing stuff like that. But a lot of it is, how do you get to know Jesus more? Trust him. Put yourself in situations where you have to trust the Lord. Okay? Quit doing things that you can only do in your power. Trust him. Like, put yourself in situations where you're like, okay, Lord, this is on you. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need some help here. How do we get to know more? By trusting him. How do we get to know more? By sharing with others about him. One of the greatest challenges to your own knowledge of the Bible is when you have people asking you questions about the Bible. And that's wonderful. Do you find yourself with people trying to share the word of God with them and they asking you questions that you don't know? Don't think that's a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. When they ask you those questions, don't make something up, okay? <laughs> that's the worst thing you could do. Don't make something up. Say, you know what? That's an excellent question. Let me try to find the answer for you, okay? Somebody you know asks you a good question that you don't know the answer to, you call the office here. You talk to one of us, Okay? And when Pastor Rob doesn't know the answer, he'll send you to me. <laughs> and when I don't know the answer, I'm sending you to Pastor Greg, okay? And when Pastor Greg doesn't know the answer, we're going to send you back to Cynthia at the front desk, okay? But like, that's how, that's how it all works. It's okay that you don't know all the answers. But if we want to know them more, not just know about them, then we got to trust and we got to share. And, and this, there's a fourth goal that Pastor Rob really has for you guys. He talked to me about it in a meeting and he was really disappointed that he didn't put it in his first sermon. And I was shocked that he didn't put it in last week. Because I think it's so perfect. It really does go hand in hand with this. And so I'm going to share it with you guys. But it's really Pastor Rob's goal. I'm not going to try to steal it and take credit for it. Because it all goes together. He wants you to know Jesus more, to trust Jesus more, to share Jesus more. And then fourthly, to serve Jesus more. You know, it's when we're trusting and sharing and serving our knowledge of God is going to increase, and it's going to grow. And so that's what I want to encourage you all with today. The story of Nicodemus should encourage us in all three of those areas. It's a reminder of God's incredible love for you and God's incredible love for me. It helps me as I'm trying to share that love with other people. And so I just want to close by reading verses 16 and 17 again. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for 
just your incredible, incredible, it's so hard to understand, your incredible love for us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to lean into that love each and every day. Lord, on the days where we feel lovely and on the days where we feel unlovable, I pray that you would help us to remember and to know and to trust that your love for us hasn't changed. Lord, I pray that as we treat other people, as we interact with other people, I pray that you would help us to see them as you see them, Lord. Even if they're so far away from you, even if they're people that are against everything that is about you, help us to remember that ultimately you love them as well. And help us to treat them in a certain way because of your great love. Lord, I pray you would help us to know you more. I pray you would help us to trust you more. I pray you would help us to share you more. And I pray you would help us to serve you more. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.